Good afternoon, everyone. I'm sure sometimes you feel like you're preaching to the choir. I hope we're not tonight. Trust that the thoughts the Lord have given me will be an encouragement to us all and a challenge as well. Let's just look to the Lord for a moment of prayer. Father, we just look to you. and As we try to look at our assemblies, Father, the local gathering of, of your people, and that we might be revived, and that we might look at ourselves from your eyes, and that we might be obedient to your word, and that you might use us to your glory and your honor, and that we might be a lighthouse, a pillar, as it were, in this place in which we gather, whether it be here or Miami or Hollywood or Fort Lauderdale or wherever, we might be a, a pillar where people can come and read and hear and see of those who love and know the Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This might not be preached just to the only, only to the choir. These things are being recorded, so okay. others are going to hear <laughs> okay. what you have to say. Just would like to start with um, Psalms 19 and verse 8. I know I shared this Tuesday, but for us to get a real ability to be able to allow the Lord to revive our assemblies and revive us. I think this, this verse really helps. It's the statutes of the Lord, verse 8 of Psalms 19, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, I would just like to suggest that the Word of God and His Word not just enlightens us to be able to see physical things, but enlightens us to see the Lord Himself, to see Him, the Almighty One. I'd like to look at some things in the book of Revelations, chapter 2. We'd like to look at how God looked at the seven churches in the book of Revelation and see if there's something there that might help us to be revived in our local assemblies. When you think of being revived in the local assemblies, first off, you might think, well, you know, is there something really wrong with our local church? Is there something wrong with the church I attend, the chapel I attend? Or maybe we think, well, well, that assembly really needs, I'm glad they're here today. You know, that's, that's sometimes our proudful thinking. Well, they need it. And don't even think about ourselves. Well, how does God look at our assemblies. Beginning in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. I know um, David mentioned this Wednesday night a little bit in one of his prayers. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know. So here's the Lord, the one who's walking in the midst of this scene, this glorious scene. And he says, I know. He knows all about our local gatherings. He knows each and every person in it. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. And he knows what we need. And one of the things I was thinking of, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but the book of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, uh, seemed to be a heavenly-minded church. 
But if you read First Timothy, it's about the church at Ephesus. And it was a fallen church. It was a church that was all messed up. Maybe not in the beginning, but you read how the, the elders weren't be eldering. The people weren't living like Christ. Uh, I, mean, it was just, I never thought of it until it just dawned on me uh, a year or so ago that when we studied our chapel, First Timothy, how it just speaks of the church of Ephesus. It was a fallen church. Like it says in verse 5 of chapter 2, Remember, therefore, from where thou art fallen... Church of Ephesus was fallen. And sometimes we, as a local gathering of God's people, can be in a fallen state. And he says, Remember therefore from where thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy lampstand. Well, what was their problem? Why were they fallen? And David mentioned this um, the other night. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Who was the one walking in the midst of the candlesticks, in the midst of the churches? It was our Lord himself. And he was walking in the midst of the churches. And he, and he, and he, and he calls out the church of Ephesus and says, we, you're fallen. And he says, how, how do you become unfallen? Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen... In other words, you've got to acknowledge you've fallen. You acknowledge what has caused us to fall, first off. And do the first works. What was the first works? What was the first thing when we became a Christian that we did? We expressed our love to the Lord. He is the one who saved us, and we gave thanks for Him. And we, the things that we did were about Him. And they forgot that. They got so busy in their teaching and their doctrine and, and all the good things they were doing and they left their first love. They put his, the doctrines and works and all kinds of things before the, the love of, they should have for the Lord himself. So Ephesus is a heavenly minded church, but a fallen church. They left their first love. And I think that's one of the things a few times I've been here is that has been stressed. We need to remember the Lord and keep Him first in our life, the preeminent one in our life. Then in verse 8, it speaks of another church. And unto the angel of church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, who is dead and is alive, I know. And here's another church. The Lord knows his, its, its situation too. The church at Smyrna was a hard-working, suffering church. Look at what it says in verse 9. I know thy works, tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, but the devil shall cast. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. You be shall be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, I will give thee a crown of life. Well, what was wrong with that church? On the surface, you don't read anything. But notice what it says. In verse 9, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. 
And remember, he was looking at the church in Smyrna. And what did he see? He saw a hard-working church, a godly church, as it were. But there were some among them that were of the synagogue of Satan. That's scary. There could be some among us of the synagogue of Satan in our local gathering. But the Lord knew who they were. That's a couple times we're going to find in, in, in these churches. As the Lord looks at them, and as we look at them from his eyes, as we look at them and see what the Lord thought of them. But notice the encouragement. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. <laughs> I'm kind of a fearful of suffering. <laughs> I don't particularly like it. But we're not supposed to fear those things. It should draw us closer to them. To the Lord, I mean. You shall suffer tribulation. Be thou faithful unto death. You know, we forget many times, as First Peter tells us, to, um, that we're to be like Christ who suffered for us. And sometimes we forget that's part of being a, a believer and a part of a local church, that we will suffer. And in America, we honestly we can't say we suffer, can we? Maybe mentally, um, very rarely physically, but we're to be faithful. And even this church, it sounds like it's a perfect church, but there were those who were of the synagogue of Satan. Then in chapter 2 and verse 12 of Revelations, um, if you don't have a paper, there's some back on the table back there. Um, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp sword with two edges. Again, I know. Isn't it great that we're known of God? He knows everything. He knows about our church. He knows about our local gathering. And as we've been hearing, he knows about us. He says the one who has a sharp sword with two edges. Why does he mention that? Well, sword with two edges, that's two things. It cuts one way and it cuts the other way. And so when it's cutting out something bad, it's cutting in something good. So something to think about. I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's throne is. When I hear that and read that part of the verse, I think of the little island of Key West. People say that place is forsaken of God. Devils, the devil's throne, Satan's throne. But his people are dwelling there. He knows those who are dwelling even in Satan's throne. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, and taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to the idols, and to commit fornication. And thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That's that sounds like a pretty bad church, doesn't it? But it's the Lord's church. And the Lord is there with them. Repent, or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, and so on. You know, are, are, are we like this church at Pergamos? There were those who held the doctrine of Balaam. They put a stumbling block to the children of Israel, to God's people. Even to commit fornication, whether 
sexually or religiously or, or God uh, in, in reference to the things of God. And that also has those who have the doctrine of Nicolaitans. Now, some think that the doctrine of Nicolaitan is, is, is someone lording over others. And so perhaps this church had someone there who was lording over them, was, you know, trying to uh, be the leading elder, as it were, or the, the big shot in the, in the assembly. But he says to repent. Revelations 2, verse 19, the next church. 2.18, I'm sorry. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine bronze. I know. And again, isn't it great to know that he knows? I know thy works and love and service and faith and patience and your works, the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and who have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden, but that which you have already. Hold fast till I come. You know, even as I reread these parts about these churches, you know, it just seems like they're so bad. The Lord sees right through everything, and yet He tells us to remain faithful, to hold fast to the things of God. God sees things a little differently than we do. A lot of things we don't think are wrong, God looks at them wrong, as, as wrong. Things that we think are right, God looks at them as they're not right. So we have to look at things from a different perspective. And perhaps by looking at it from God's viewpoint, we will understand what we really are. And understand that you know, what we think is good, maybe God doesn't. But there's also the other side. Sometimes and many times the things that we do think are good and know are good from the Word of God. He will bless and honor them. And yet, every one of these churches has something that the Lord saw that you and I wouldn't see. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know. And again, he knows. He knows the good and the bad, as he reveals in these seven churches. Thou hast a name, thou livest and art dead. <clears throat> Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If thou therefore shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come. You have a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. <clears throat> Again, this church looked alive. They thought they were alive. And, and, and God, Christ, looks at them a little bit differently. 
have not found your works perfect before God. Repent and watch, or I will come as a thief. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, says he that is holy and that is true, and that hath the key of David, he that openeth no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know. Every time I know. Christ knows his church. Knows his people. <clears throat> Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Why does he say a little strength? Just a little strength. Remember, a little in the hands of God is a lot. And he can use it mightily. Um, Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. You know, I don't know what it really means about being a synagogue of Satan, being of those who say there are Jews and not. don't really think I understand it fully yet. But there were those who were not of the Lord in there. In a local gathering of this church, and though I may not understand it, I know one thing, they were bad. And God knows. Oh, may we be careful make sure that we ourselves are faithful and true to the word of God. <clears throat> then chapter 3 and verse 14. This is probably more, the second most well-known church in this portion. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know. What can we say? He knows. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would that thou art cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, and I counsel you, and so on. Terrible sound in church again. But looked at from God's eyes, from our eyes, you know, it was a very... Going on, church, as it were. But notice what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. We've been talking about that the whole week. Uh, to repent. And we ask ourselves, what are we to repent of? Well, if we look at it from our eyes, maybe there's nothing. But if we look at it from God's eyes, as we see in these churches, there's a whole lot we need to repent of. At least I do, anyway. And then notice that uh, he says they were lukewarm. You know, sometimes when you come to church, don't you feel like it's lukewarm? Maybe the problem in the people in the church, maybe it's us when we come. We come when we feel like it's lukewarm. Other times you come and it's like, man, you just feel lifted up. You feel encouraged and strengthened. And what a, what a joy it is to be strengthened when we come to, and gather together around the Lord. And then lastly, in um, That's all the seven churches. Notice what it says, though, at the end of verse 18. It says, And that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with salve or ointment that you may see. 
anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. You know, we get blinded by our own perceived goodness and by our own perceived holiness and thinking higher than we ought to think of ourselves. And we get blinded. And God says, look, put some salve on there so that you can see better. Ever had your eyes so dry you can't see and you put some drops in them and now you can see. God wants us to see how he looks at us and at our church. Because without repentance, there is no revival. We need repentance. Both the believers and unbelievers that come to know Christ as their Savior. But for believers, that God might use us. And that we might not be a hindrance and a stumbling block to him. In Proverbs 29 and verse 18, uh, well-known verse, it says this. Where there is no vision, the people perishes, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. The Lord wants us to see. The word vision here is not like some extra spiritual thing. It's a, it's a revelation of something that's already known. And we need to have, as it were, a revelation from God, a vision from God, uh, an understanding of an existing truth of the Word of God. And then we can be revived. You know, as we study God's Word and as we, you know, apply it to ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit, there's things that God reveals to us. He opens our eyes to. He lets us see in a greater way something from the Word of God. Maybe you've read it a hundred times. I need to read it the next time. And it's like, well, at our chapel last night, brother read the prayer that Nehemiah prayed in, in Nehemiah chapter 1. I never really thought about this one thought. All he wanted to do was come back and build us a wall around the city, a little wall around the city. But he loved God's people. He loved the city of God. Why? Because that's where God was. And he loved to see the people God protected. And his heart's desire was God's people. And so we need, a, 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 as it were, a, a new revelation of what's already there in the Word of God. That our eyes might be opened to be able to see these things that maybe we read or heard a hundred times. And in second and first Timothy two two Actually it's second Timothy two. Sorry about that. When you get old and you write and type things down sometimes you <laughs> you think you type something you didn't. Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Sometimes we think we're the only ones able to do something in the work of the Lord. A lot of times it happens in our assemblies. We think we're the only ones that can do the work of the Lord, be elders or be deacons or be Sunday school teachers. Well, we just think we're the only ones that can do it. And we leave behind everybody. Don't provide opportunities for them. We don't disciple them long. We don't teach them what the Lord has graciously taught us and teach it in a way that they are able to teach somebody else. It's easy to teach someone to do something, but to teach them to teach somebody else is a whole different story. 
Why do churches, why do assemblies become fallen sometimes? Because they failed, or we have failed, to teach the ones below us to be able to teach the next generation to come. Why do we see gaps in our, many of our assemblies? Like a 10 or 15 year gap. It's because we failed to teach the ones who are below us, ones five years below us, ten years below us, to be able to teach someone else. It's a humbling thing to think of how God looks at things. He wants us to be able to pass what we know from the Word of God, what He has given us, to the next generation so they can pass it on to their next generation. So they can be able to teach their next generation how to do the same thing. We fail to do that many times. And then lastly, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 14 through 16. These things I write unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly, but if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is a church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. <clears throat> Notice it's the house of God. It's the house of the living God. In my life, I find that when I forget that we have a living God, I lose sight of who he really is. I lose sight of his power. You know, he wants to use each and every one of us. All of us probably in a different way. But he wants to use each and every one of us. But if we lose sight of, of the living God, what, what is our life? It's just a hum, ho, hum thing. God wants to, He wants us to know how we ought to behave ourselves in the local gathering of God's people so we know the true and the living God. And here uh, it says the pillar and the ground of truth. And the pillar used to be something in the middle of a city that the Romans used to come by and tack things to, and you'd better go and, and, and read it. You better go see what it had to say. And people would gather and they would put things there, uh, they would nail things to those posts. And we're to be like that in a local assembly, not just in these four walls and nobody knows anything about us, but we're to be a light, a pillar, so that people come by and they say, I know that church. I don't want to go there because they live for God, and I don't want to live for God. Well, they want to, know, they want to go there because I know that when they come in here, of assurance, God is in this place. Sometimes we forget that God is a living God. He wants us to see Him in a new and a living way every day of our lives. But sometimes we forget that He's a living God. You know, I've had the privilege of reading a lot of revivals and in the assemblies and different churches and across the world. And everyone I've ever read, and I haven't read them all, but everyone I've ever read had two things about it. They prayed. And there was personal repentance of individuals and then of their local church and of their local community. And that's how people got saved. First off, we repent and then God can use us. He opens our eyes. I would just like to close with Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. 
he kneeled upon his knees and three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did previously. Why didn't he just say before God? I'd like to suggest that he says his God because Daniel knew his God. He knew him in a personal way. More than just in salvation. It's one thing to know we're saved from our sins. That's a wonderful thing. But if that's all we know for all our life, we don't know God very well. He not only wants to save us, He wants to change us and use us greatly for Him. And sometimes we forget to give thanks to our God. He is our God. Daniel knew his God. He knew if he went and prayed with those windows open, they were going to see it. He knew there was nothing in his life that uh, deserved what was going to happen to him. But he went and prayed anyway because he knew his God. He knew if God was going to allow him to go through whatever was going to happen, God would take him through it. And God did. And he went and prayed to his God. May, may we be able to see God in a greater way. To look at our own personal life from God's viewpoint. To look at our church, our assembly from God's viewpoint. We may be doing great. We may have the best assembly in the South Florida area. But it's not good enough. Because God has more for us than that. May we understand what it is to know God. He knows us. And He wants us to know Him in a greater way. Let's just pray. Father, as we hear the thunder outside and know the coming rain, we marvel at at your creation, the the power of the things that you've created. We get a little glimpse of you in a different way. But as we come inside here, Father, as we look into your word, as we put, as it were, the the, the salve on our eyes, anoint our eyes with medicine, the medicine of the word of God, We're able to see things differently. We're able to be like Daniel and Isaiah and Paul and and Job. Father, we'll just repent. And we'll just understand their their sinfulness before you. And they would repent. And dust and ashes as, as Job did and as others did. They would cry out as Paul that, oh, wretched man that I am. But then we would see the other side of it. We would see our wonderful Savior high and lifted up. We would see the one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. The one, Father, sometimes whose love we left. And we just ask if any of us, myself included, Father, have left our first love. We're so busy living, quote unquote, the Christian life that we've left Christ behind. We pray that you would help us. That you open the eyes of our understanding. That you open the eyes of our minds. And especially the eyes of our heart. That we might be able to see and understand. And draw nigh unto you. And I word declares you will draw nigh unto us. Oh, revive us, Lord. Revive not only individually. Not only in our families. But we ask in our assemblies today. In Jesus' name, amen.